Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to an August 29th edition of the MSP Initiative MSP Talk. That's right, guys and girls. It's the unofficial end of the summertime. People are pretty much back to school uh, or they're about to be. The NFL season is pretty much here. Uh, I hear I'm supposed to be having my Eagle season ticket holder. Thank you for spending money with us. Um, you know, mailer coming through, you know, because, you know, we're all we're all crazy here in Philadelphia for for the Eagles. Uh, don't hold it against me, but uh, uh, housekeeping, and then we'll get into the good stuff. MSPinitiative.com. This is where everything we do is kind of in one place. So you'll see this session is actually being recorded, uh, and it'll be under our sessions tab um, under either a podcatcher for, for audio or video. Feel free to rewind. Um, we completed our first successful in-person event post-bus tour called MSP Community Minds. It was absolutely awesome. Thank you for everyone who came out to that. Uh, we are now planning, you know, got to be planning maybe one or two more of these coming into 2024. Uh, I think we got a lot of great feedback that the format was awesome. Um, so stay tuned and we will sneak that into hopefully uh, the calendar for 2024. Uh, looking forward to it. We have one, two, three remaining block parties for the rest of the year. That's not true. We completed our MSP community boat party uh, uh, with the great folks over at Taylor Business Group and the Big Big Conference. So uh, we'll have the photos and videos posted soon. It was an absolutely beautiful night for a mega yacht party going down the intercoastal in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, so absolutely uh, enjoyed that and um, can't say, you know, when the weather cooperates, how nice that that actually works out, which means we have two, not one, but two remaining block parties for the rest of the year. So if you're going to DadoCon in Miami, uh, we uh, will be continuing our efforts there. It'll be on the second night of the conference. Uh, or if you're not going to DadoCon and you're just in South Florida and want to stop by and you're an MSP, be our guest. So you'll notice that that's on the, not the first night after the welcome reception, which we usually park these at. It will be the second night, uh, which is the third, and we'll be doing this at the Hard Rock, uh, like literally walking distance down the street from uh, the main conference hotel, though there are a few conference hotels for what it is worth. And then we close out the year at IT Nation. Last year, we had the All-American Rejects. I'm so, 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 so close to announcing this year's entertainment. You'll absolutely love it. This one is after the welcome reception of IT Nation on the first day, November 8th, um, down at Icon Park worth the big Ferris wheel. Everybody can't miss it if you're driving down the road. Um, so super excited for this um, and super excited to be working with ConnectWise finally uh, on this particular event. Uh, it's been seven years of uh, in the making, and we're happy to uh, be working with them to make this happen. Uh, lastly, some community offers. These are just um, companies from around the uh, industry trying to hook you up with off deals. And then our industry calendar finally started getting some 2024 dates. You know, a lot of people do industry calendars. We're just dumping all of our homework into one place. So, you know, this probably goes to December, which isn't that far away. And then I think we already have January and February and I believe early March in there. Uh, so we'll start populating dates for anything that we know about. So you can plan ahead. That. Being said, that is all of our homework. There it all is, mspinitiative.com. Once you learn how to spell initiative property properly, then the rest is easy. 
So uh, welcome to um, August 29th. Again, summertime, you know, like you almost need to plan your summers ahead of time in order to go anywhere because it just goes so damn fast. We're already back to like September, October, November. In my opinion, it's probably one of the busiest times of the year, uh, at least in the MSP sandbox uh, for people who venture out of, you know, wherever you work, your office, your basement, your garage, the backseat of your car, wherever it may be. We're bringing back Jeremy from Blue Mira. Uh, Jeremy's what's been going on, us. George? Uh, hey, what's going on, Jeremy? Jeremy popped on. You know, earlier in, sometime in MSP Initiative Podcasting Land, he comes back. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll see what's happening uh, in your world, Jeremy. How what did you do this summer? Anything good? I did all the same things you did, man. I was at all these mm-hmm. events and and doing the whole trade show thing. Different uh, different event, same same show. It feels like a lot of times, but I I think we're I might have some. No, I'm I'm not gotta make anything up i'm just doing more shows it was a busy how is it august and we're already talking about 2024 that is insane things fly time flies i hate to i hate to say it but i mean this is the time of year where like everybody's sending out their stuff and you can see what's going on and what it costs and where it is and there's many people that say that there's just too many things happening out there and at some point like (laughs) Does it, does it come down to earth a little bit in terms of if you really wanted to be on the road every day, every week of the year, I bet you there's an event you could go to, uh, an IT centric one at least. Um, but yeah, 2024, right? Like I'm, I'm about to meet with my team shortly to like start kind of game planning about, Hey, what's, what's 2023 been like? Did it work? Did it not? Do you repeat? Do you try something different things? Right. You know, and yeah, I mean, there's uh, it's that time, believe it or not. Planning for next year and all the events we're going to go to. Uh, Kit, speaking of all the events and such, congratulations to you. We actually just got on the same CRN list for, what was it, 15 hot vendors? Hot or something? products. Hot products, thank you. And we'll find the link and drop it in the chat. But yeah, notice we were both on there and good on you. And thanks. We 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 love we love uh, any sort of uh, acknowledgement from the street. Uh, the good people at CRN love writing things, but I think all of that feedback came from people at you know their last uh, exchange event in Nashville, which I hear a lot. Of, I, this is the first time I've heard the term Nash Vegas. Okay, Nash but, Vegas. Uh, I have not heard that one. I I, heard, I was like, what's Nash? I was like, ah, I see, I see what's happening here, but. Uh, yeah, as uh, you can put that event as far from downtown Nashville as you want. It seems like if you want to get to downtown Nashville, you will find a way. The the Gaylord Opryland is a really interesting property. So fun fact, uh, I it was not my first time there. I'd been there four or five times before because the World Championships of Country Dancing are there every like New Year's, and I my my ex-wife did that professionally and so over new years every year i was at gaylord opryland in a sea of sequins and cowboy hats and cowboy boots watching just in a ball not too different than what we do now of trace just instead of ballroom a i'm in ballroom b and they're actually dancing ballroom instead of just putting up booths in ballrooms uh but it yeah 
it was throwing back some flashbacks when I was there walking around in that huge atrium. It, it was... I feel like it's back to the whole Nash Vegas comment. One of the big things I, I always don't like about going to any event in Vegas is by the time you leave your hotel room and you get to wherever the event is, I feel like it's a mile. It's like a good 20, 25 minutes of just walking. <laughs> um, and of course, there's a lot of stuff in between to distract you, uh, but that's besides the point. Here, this place is so big. I think somebody told me they have their own area code or zip code uh, for whatever, one of those. Wouldn't and, doubt it. Um, it's so big that like it did. From the, from the time you get to the front door all the way to the time that you get to where the event is, it's, it's like a maze. I feel like all the Gaylords are, but I feel like that one is prime in addition to most because then the atrium is so big. You got to walk around the whole thing. If you go the wrong way, God help you. You're going to, you will hit your 10,000 steps that day. I can guarantee that. I should go back and look. I mean, it was crazy, but um, one thing's for sure. This summer was, especially for any event in the South, um, it's really hot. I mean, hot, humid, sticky. I'm yeah. I'm in Austin, Texas, and so it was about two months of over a hundred degrees, uh, maybe a little more than that. And they broke the record of over a hundred and five degree days. And the first time of the summer that it broke under a hundred, I was in Nashville, and it was the day before I arrived in Nashville. It was eighty five, and then once I arrived, it was like ninety eight. And the Uber driver on the way from the airport, he's like, "Oh, you missed it. It was beautiful yesterday." And I coming from 110 degrees, I was like, this is already feeling pretty nice to me. And he's like, this is brutal. I'm like, yeah, come on. You don't know what brutal is. But uh, yeah, we're, I was telling, uh, telling Jim for today might be the second day of the summer that we don't break a hundred. Wow. And, yeah. Reason to celebrate popping bottles wow. down here in Austin, Texas. Wow. So sounds all fun and well when it's snowing up here and it's warmer down there, but uh, triple digits for two months is pretty, you know, that's the trade-off, I guess. Seek water. If as long as you're in a pool or in a creek or a river, and that's if they're still here, a lot of the stuff down here is closed because we've been in a drought so much. So hoping for uh, hoping for a few hurricanes to throw some thunderstorms this way off of the we don't we're not close enough to actually get the hurricane yeah. hurricane stuff but we'll i hear florida might have one coming up on it so saw a map this morning that just kind of looked like who's going to sink your battleship there's like all sorts of stuff in that area. yeah well people down there swear that you know it's not a big deal okay cool especially for people have lived there their whole lives they're like ah no big deal i'm like oh okay cool i i try to avoid all natural disasters yeah I grew up in Oklahoma and it was tornadoes and I just, you, my, I spent my freshman year at OU University of Oklahoma and the dorm was like, I think 10 stories. And so you could tell during a crazy storm who were the Okies and who were the transplants because everybody was going down to the lobby, going down the elevator, going down the stairs. The Oklahomans were going outside to look and everybody else was headed down to the basement. I got you. Well, uh, you know, the now franchise quarterback of my Philadelphia Eagles happens to be from, from your university. So, yes. I, uh, well, I mean, I, I think I'm not sure he would. I don't know who he claimed. I mean, he had a good senior season, but he grew up at Alabama and they, they kind of raised him. But yeah, we, 
I, as I was raised a Cowboys fan, so you're going to have to forgive me as well, but uh, I at least now have something to root for when I'm watching Philly and that hurts does well. And though it hurts, I'm rooting for hurts. Okay. I got you. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening at your company. And of course, some people may have not even heard of you or your company, but that's what this is all about. Um, not too long ago, you guys announced that you got a pretty good chunk of funding, which is pretty exciting. In this climate, it's absolutely exciting. So in June, we raised, I think it's 13 million, uh, Series B, which will give us a, a good runway and, and good to grow properly. And we there, there's a lot of different ways you can take money when you're taking investment. And it's very fun to go out there and see the big headline of hundreds of millions of dollars, but the, the control that you give up and the amount of share value that you give up to get that doesn't always make it the right thing to do. So we're, we're trying to do this, what we feel is the right way of uh, making sure it's a measured approach, but we, we, in this climate still raised a good series B and that was in June. Uh, and we have, we've haven't had any huge changes in in terms of product and personnel, we're still just kind of growing steadily. I think in that press release, it mentioned uh, 8x MSP customer growth year over year. And in my program year over year, it's over 530% revenue growth. So we're, we're doing it. We're growing very strong. Uh, that's really because if you can see behind me or those for listening, we are a sim that's made easy for MSPs. We're really the only SIM out there that is built with IT admins in mind. SIM being security information and event management. It's a tool that's been around for a long time, but it's a tool that's been very complicated and built for security people. And we built ours for IT people. So you can imagine why MSPs kind of flock to it once they realize that it's there and they realize that it's free for internal use for MSPs. And so you don't have to trust anything I say, just play with it. And if it works for your business, great. Are, are you guys channel only, or do you have a direct option to the street? We are omni-channel, channel, but uh, we, there's not really a lot of overlap there. The mid-market team focuses up market and really the kind of SMB is more focused through uh, the channel. Got it. So we all, MSP focused is probably the right word. We we also, uh, we have a free edition. And so an easy okay. way that I kind of safeguard this is we have a free edition that does free monitoring for M365 and pick a couple other APIs, but primarily through MSP space, it's M365. And you can, we can get all of your clients uploaded into your MSP portal multi-tenancy under the free edition. And that basically claims ownership of that company to the MSP. So if any of them were ever to come into our system in any such way, we'd see, oh, no, that belongs to MSP. Why? We're going to send them that direction and loop them into the conversation, which in two years has happened maybe three times. But in that three mm -hmm. times, we still are able to identify that and loop the MSP in and make, and usually it's it's what you expect. It's the MSP mentioned it to them. They're getting the free edition. And so they just wanted to start checking it out for the purposes of buying it through that MSP, but they downloaded a white paper or something. And so they became a lead in our system, but we route it properly once we have the information of where to send it. Fair. Makes sense. Um, 
So talk to us about, you know, it seems like the, and needless to say, right, every time I use the word security, like a thousand names pop up. This is clearly where a lot of spending is happening because there's just so many different products. Um, and, you know, why go this way, right? A lot of people are selling like sock as a service, right? Where there's like some sort of human being element to it other than the software, right? To like follow up with whatever comes in is the idea that they would say, oh, instead of outsourcing it to somebody else, I'm going to bring this in house. And as a result, this is a way to do that. Or I'm just, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just trying to understand why somebody would go left versus right. Sure. I'll, I'll take that from a Blumira perspective and then I'll kind of back up and take a, all the 1000 different security vendors. But from a Blumira perspective and the kind of the SOC as a service. So there's a long history of third-party socks monitoring third-party tools on your behalf. So perfect example, Stratazen was a third-party sock that was monitoring Fortisim and then uh, ConnectWise bought them and threw them onto the Perch sock team. But that the reason for that is that all of the third-party socks with on top of third-party tools or on top of their own tool, Perch had a sock on top of their own tool and they ended up getting bought by ConnectWise. Those have really good service and really good kind of expectations when they first start. And then they eventually run into a kind of ceiling where they can't scale because they're throwing people at the problem. And the two things from an MSP's perspective that no third-party sock can take away from you or, or take off your plate is they don't know the context of your organization or your client's organization. So they can't answer, answer simple questions like, did you mean to make this person a global admin? And then most of the time, you're not giving anybody third party the keys to the kingdom of all the global admins to all your IT tools. So they can't actually remediate anything. So what they're doing is they're taking a complicated security tool and they're saying, send me all your logs. And then we're going to generate a ton of alerts, but we'll whittle that down to for you and then send notes over the fence. And then you have to deal with it. What that creates is an artificial delay and very inconsistent notes because you don't know if that analyst has been there for 10 years or if they were at Applebee's last week. Uh, Hope not. I mean, that uh, would be scary. You'd be surprised. Uh, and then it gives you a delay of how whatever SLA that they're waiting for to send that over to you. Because if you're per bang, paying for a two-hour SLA, you're not going to get that alert for two hours. If you're paying for a six-hour SLA, you're not going to get that alert for six hours because they're doing this for multiple clients. So what we have done, and keep in mind, we do have 24-7 SecOps support with a one-hour SLA. We do have the security people. We okay. are just automating basically the tier one analysts. So every finding alert finding that triggers based on our detections and we write all the detections so you don't have to we do we do all the middle security stuff that makes running sm very difficult and that's what our SOC team does but the findings go to you instantly once they're triggered and they come along with detailed analysis and step-by-step -step instructions of what to do about it so we're getting you to the same outcome just faster and with better and more consistent intelligence 
along with the steps for remediation. So it actually, the kind of inter interaction with the tool teaches your tier one analysts how to respond to a security incident logically. That's like they're learning how to respond. So it's not just uh, getting analyst notes thrown over the fence and then it spawns your own investigation, which is why most of these tools turn into shelfware because they don't know what to do about it and they're not gonna, they don't have the time. And so the alerts just stack up and they become irrelevant. Uh, so a lot of MSPs have found that this tool actually gets us to better security outcomes faster and helps improve the quality of my tech. So they learn how to work security incidents in other tools, helping the ben uh, benefit of the ecosystem overall. Now that's the, the blue mirror answer. The, how they, they there's a thousand you go to the trade show and probably what 40 percent or more are security vendors now that's fair percentage yeah I yeah think something right. like that uh and i and i do get this question time time of like how do you separate the wheat from the chaff how do, how how many is too many how many is enough and i think any good security honest person practitioner is going to tell you a it's an old adage but you don't have to be faster than the bear you just have to be faster than the guy you're running away from the bear next to you but okay don't be, don't be the low-hanging fruit and as far as what you need to be doing pick a framework essentially they all say the same thing uh what's become very popular in the past few years is cis cis is has made it more digestible it's Center for Internet Security, uh, and CISA has another one that they've just come out with that's kind of very digestible as well. But NIST, whatever the case may be, they're all pointing to same basic uh, fundamentals of what you need to do. And CIS just happens to be largely uh, easy to follow because they've broken it down into, I think, the top 20 things. And then they have implementation groups where if you're implementation group one, you're going to do this, 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 or this. And so they've made it very regimented and much easier to follow. And that will guide you towards the right tools that you need in your business to accomplish those things. And I would start, I, I think uh, there's some people kind of on the circuit, on the speaker circuit, talking about how they've turned their good, better, best, their best all-you-can-eat package. They kind of refer to it as their compliance package now of it's not just Yes, you're getting all your T IT stuff, but you are in compliance if you choose this package and turning the compliance framework into their roadmap because you can adopt all these things, but then selling them is another thing. And if you kind of are able to adopt that framework internally and be able to talk about that to your clients, it becomes a, a defensible differentiator when selling against somebody who... Yeah, they'll put a cot, they'll put a $75 per seat price out there, but that's for like RMM, AV, and managed firewall. And you don't know what kind of trouble you're going to get yourself into by going with a low cost provider. Yeah, well, definitely the lowest guy is probably not the right guy. The most expensive guy may not be the right guy either. Depending you on your business, yeah, for sure. Between, I think part of the marketing approach here is that security is just not really understood, right? The general concepts understood. But uh, I think uh, in a conversation between Matt Lee and Brad Gross earlier in the year, it's like, 
a lot of people like a, make a lot of money off of really junk software out there. Yep. Um, you just don't uh, know, right? You're just like, hey, security is a big word. And you always hear about this layers of security and like there's not any one silver bullet. And you hear all these things. And then you're just like, seems super complicated. Do I want the liability or even just the output of effort, time, money, and effort to try and figure that out internally versus just kicking the can to somebody else and saying, well, if they screw up, then it wasn't me, right? Like it's, you know, like, yeah, I understand I'm in between, but like, so-and-so are the experts and like, that's not my jam. I mean, you can out, you could partner with an MSSP and outsource that to an MSSP. And then you would then have to make the decision of, okay, do I give them access to the IT tools to do the remediation or are they kicking that back to me to do the remediation? And at that point, I'm back in the liability tree. And so what, what are you really getting out of that? So the point is most people aren't doing the basics and the frameworks will point you to where the basics are. You don't have to become an expert, but you do have to align to all the things that cyber insurance tells your clients they have to have. And that, and that which are happen to be the same things that CIS is going to point you to. So if you do the baseline, you will be above the cybersecurity poverty line that 90% of SMBs are beneath. Hmm. So is the concept then, hey, we're going to, we're taking something that's generally perceived as really complicated and Blumera's approach is, hey, we're going to make it simple enough that a technical person can at least understand what's coming in the front door so that like you can make a decision on whether you're going to A, handle that internally or B, escalate it to somebody else. Correct. And that somebody else is us as well. Like if you need help on any, any specific incident, or I don't understand this, we're there to help explain it. But the goal is take this really advanced security tool that's really been only accessible and attainable by enterprise mid-market who have had the resources to have their own SOC and boil it down to something that any IT admin can use and get value from and make it affordable enough that an MSP's end clients can actually uh, use it and get benefits from it. Because usually what happens in this line, in the SIM lane, is I have some compliance thing that says I have to do this, so I'm going to do it. And the only options that have been available kind of suck and so they end up creating a mountain of alerts and they just sit on the shelf and collect dust but i got my log somewhere so like i'm and i have i have something that checks that box but there's no value in there and this actually makes you more secure and the whole point of a sim is take all the logs from all of the things turn them up to 11 and point them to a central location because I don't know if you've, and, and there's multiple reasons for that. Biggest one being you can't protect what you can't see. And so most of the attackers, uh, like a lot of the security products, the point products that we're talking about at these, at the trade shows, they're focused on like the state, the late stage attacks of the stuff that happens right before you get ransomware. Like let's move up the chain here. And if we can find 
the IT mistakes that lead to bad things happening down the road and we can fix those before they become a problem, then our whole attack landscape goes down. Uh, and the amount of bad things that are gonna happen later starts to diminish. So by getting visibility into things uh, that you otherwise wouldn't know, and, and you know, I used to work at Huntress, right? Huntress started out focusing on persistence and persistence, they would find things, they still do find things that all the other AVs, EDRs, et cetera, don't because they focus on bad people working inside of Windows systems using valid Windows components in illegitimate ways. But it's not illegitimate from an operating system perspective. It's just creating a scheduled task. But it's the wrong person or somebody who wouldn't usually do that. And if you have the logs and you can see that level of data, you can write detections to catch anomalies. And that's why I say when you can outsource the management of the tool, but you can't outsource the context of your organization, the quite like if you didn't, if you weren't asked the question, is this a legitimate scheduled task? Then that attack is going to continue going. If you were asked the question, is it legitimate? you get to have the decision of saying yes, no, or I need more information. Otherwise, you're just blind to it. And that's why everybody focuses on the, well, we're going to stop it, right? When like ransomware drops, we're going to block that process from running. How about we block way months ago when they've been in your environment for a long time? How about we find it then or lateral movement or, or all of the things that happen in every single attack that you're just blind to because you don't have logging turned on? All right, so since you brought them up, just going to ask that question, right? If somebody's looking at a Huntress as an option, right? And we always hear like, uh, yeah, everybody watches the Reddits and the Discords and all that stuff, right? But they're like, hey, I'm using S1. What? Yeah. And then they're like, I'm going to drop S1, Sentinel 1. I'm going to go to Huntress. Or I'm going to drop uh, Huntress and I'm going to go to Threat Locker. I'm going to drop Threat Locker. And I'm going to like, we'll see all these people moving around all over the place. But like, Back to the layered approach, right? I don't know if any one tool does it all. All of the ones that I just mentioned are just one piece of the puzzle, I think. I'm sure they'll tell me differently. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, like when people subscribe to these managed services, they just hope that the vendor is watching, right? Because maybe the MSP is just way too busy in the day-to-day -to, -day to even keep up with the normal stuff, let alone this category right here, mm -hmm. is the argument then too noisy? Can't keep up with it? Is that is that a thing? In SMB security, it really is a cost to value equation because mm -hmm. every dollar of an MSP's clients spend is so precious to them because most of them are small businesses. Yeah. And so when you're looking at all of these, it, I mean, there are calendar tools that will give you a calendar link that does the same thing that you're and my, like my HubSpot link will do that you could pay $25 a user just for that, right? And some enterprises do that kind of stuff. $25 per user is more than what most MSPs spend on their entire security stack for their clients. So you have to really do your best to find where the value is. And at the same time, align that security stack to the requirements that you're going to have to do. 
And so if you have access to tools and, and Huntress does have more than one thing under their portfolio now. So if you have things that check multiple boxes, great. More bang for your buck. Try to spread that dollar across something, tools that are valuable, that provide security value and check the boxes and don't chase red herrings just because the website says we're going to stop cybercrime forever. Like make sure you're aligning to going back to that framework approach, make sure you are doing the things that are going to be required. And here's a little nugget. Uh, if, if you're watching this, if you're an MSP, if you have clients that have cyber liability insurance tip, they all should, like, I can't rent an apartment without a, uh, without Rent renter's insurance. Yeah. So you should be asking all of your clients to get at least that. If they have a policy, ask for the renewal about six months ahead of time. Start tracking when their renewal date is and ask for the paperwork about the application about six months ahead of time. Because what we've been seeing over the past few years is the application goes from one page to three pages to six pages. And don't wait for them to send you that application 30 days before the renewal get it ahead of time and allow that, turn that into your roadmap of how to sell your security stack back to them. Because mm. most of the things that you've adopted, I hope, are gonna be requirements on that list as you keep going. And that gives you enough time to have, give them time to budget and get their mind around, yes, you need all these things. And 30 days isn't enough time for that. That's actually not... I think it's the first time we've gotten that nugget of advice. Uh, makes perfect sense. You're I borrowed that getting... from Wes Spencer. So okay. I will give credit where credit is due. But Hashtag Wes Spencer. Yeah, uh, my boy. Jimmy, do we mention the other thing too about renewals? Go for it. No, go for it. Hi, yeah. welcome. This is, this is my uh, SE, I guess it's on this side. This is my SE, Chris Ferner. And I invited him because he's he's deeper into some of the, the rabbit holes than I am. So I figured he'd have some fun thoughts. But yeah, in terms of cyber insurance, there's there's some interesting tidbits. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So like almost half of all cyber insurance policies are issued renewed in January, December and January, which hmm. means that there's going to be less um, time for like underwriting to actually look at your individual scenario. If you have like any like letters or any like explanations that you send with your renewal, they're less likely to look at those things. So the best thing you can do is to be prepared like well in advance of that season, because then you don't have to say, well, we have MFA, but here's the thing about it. You know, like if you have, you want to have like strong answers going into that season so that you're not going to get, you know, your, your explanations are going to get lost in the, in, you know, the paper shuffle yeah, of that blanket season. Blanket denials. Like people that wait till they don't midnight have time. the day the tax returns are due and they're standing in line yeah. at the post office, you know, putting yeah. it in just to get a date stamped. Probably yeah. not the best time. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, proper planning, you know, prevents, you know what. Um, so yeah, getting getting ahead of it and having, you know, strong, um, you know, preparation for those renewals, because pretty much everybody knows what's going to be on those things, more or less, you can yeah. kind of anticipate what's gonna be coming up. So, you know, having, you know, knowing what was on last year is knowing what you checked no to last year, you know, setting some goals for the next year to get, you know, you know, improvements will, done. Will they under, will they accept your application? six months ahead of time for the renewal? Like, is that, I feel like that may be too it's, far. You're not going to submit the application. You're just going to get it to use that as a roadmap for when the renewal comes. Got you it. You already know what's going to be on it. The, ag the agent likely can at least share with you what surveys their current renewals or new applications are seeing. 
And so you can know if they're like using a new survey compared to last year. And they can't, you know, that's, that's not going to be a promise of what happens when you actually renew, but it can at least give you an indicator as to what to expect when renewal comes around. No, that's good. That's good advice. Um, early bird catches the worm. I like that. Um, and but Chris used to, to actually go ahead, George. Sorry. But, but, all right. So like, let me flip it or let me flip my last question around slightly differently. Why not, you know, like, you know, those guys, and maybe this is just a, mat, a dollars versus reward comment like you made before, but it's like, you know, you always hear the guys like, well, I never, never, you know, lost my job for buying Cisco, right? Like the big name, right? I guess who's the big name in the, in the space? CrowdStrike maybe, right? Maybe big, big, right? Super expensive, but like the Cadillac edition. Um, or, you know, like, do you see that type of solution affordable in the sub hundred employee space? And Chris, I'll, I'll let you answer. So Chris used to be in the seat of the people we're talking about. He used to be a, a security uh, specialist at MSP who was in charge of picking and choosing tools and then administering. Um, I don't see that. And a lot of the reason is kind of going back to you're saying uh, security is not very well understood. And so if you are getting into security conversations with your clients about individual products, you're probably going too deep. And the old, is it Gary Pika of like, you don't, when you go to the baker, you don't ask them what kind of sugar they're using when they make the cake. Uh, you're really just talking about the fact, and that's kind of why I point to the compliance package, like here, subscribe to this and all boxes will be checked they want that level. And I don't see a bunch of pull through. I, I have heard of it. There are some that like go out there and lead with, Hey, we're doing CrowdStrike Falcon complete to use your example. And that's go look that up. But I don't see a ton of that. I see more uh, reactions to honestly, cyber insurance of we need to be insurable and these boxes need to be checked. And what do we need to do to get these boxes checked? And they are less, uh, they let, care less about the name brand of the box getting checked than the actual box getting checked. But it's on the, it's, it's the responsibility of the MSP to make sure that while you're checking boxes, you're adding security value as opposed to just checking a box and wasting everyone's money and your time. Well, the carrier back to the whole, well, I'll just pay the premium and not for all the products and the deployments and the projects, but will the carrier just jack up the rate or will they actually get to the point where they're like, just not going to offer it. Yeah. All of the that. above They're They're also going to limit coverages. So they have a lot of options at their disposal. They'll just, put limits in place on particular coverages. They'll cancel certain things. You're not going to have a ransomware writer. You're not like, depending on your stack, they also might just blanket deny you. Chris, what else have you seen? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's of course, you know, like punitively high rates, um, but there's definitely like the first, the first shot was MFA. Um, I think there's several carriers now that are putting a, a, an, an addendum out with your application that basically says in order to, qualify for a policy you need to have mfa on these things like all admin logons um all email logons um all like vpn logons so 
Well, that's funny because in 2016, the question was, do you MFA? So this is a, it's an evolving process where insurers are learning and generally they move, insurance industry moves pretty slow. They've had to move way faster than what's comfortable for them over the past few years in cyber landscape because the insurance is like, it's like geologic time. They've been doing this for a long, long time and they have lots and lots of data, uh, but they don't have that much on cyber insurance or cyber liability, cybersecurity. And so they're trying to figure out where that sweet spot is of, of controls. And they have to do that retroactively based on who got hit, who didn't, what controls they had in place. That's why you see the questionnaires get longer than the requirements do ahead of time. So they can go back retrospectively and see of those that got hit, who had what controls in place and start to use that as the forecast for next year's application of what's what's uh, required versus optional. So I just want to be clear, right? Like I don't get traffic tickets. I don't get into an accident. My car never gets totaled because some flood came through in Oklahoma or tornado for that matter. Then like, I'm thinking that my insurance rates probably are going to be relatively the same. Not the case here is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, they're, they're seeing, you know, that the, as an, as like, as a, the business industry as a whole, and of course the insurers as a whole are seeing that they're getting hit hard with claims, you know, and if you're a good driver, but you live in a state where it's 50% uninsured, your rates are going to go up because if the, something happens, the insurance company knows that it's 50% chance that it's an uninsured driver that did it and they're going to be on the hook for everything. Mm. That's kind of the situation we're in. Yeah. I guess that does kind of make sense actually. So like, how do they even validate? Like you can fill out your questionnaire and attach whatever the hell you want to it. Hopefully then in a month where it's not super busy so they actually read it. But like, does the validating part even happen at this point? I know there's some new insurance carriers on the street that like actually run some sort of application to collect data on your inf- your environment. That's like the exception to the rule, actually, in my opinion. And um, most of it is very rudimentary so far. Okay, fair. Early days, early days. But I feel like they only come to check if you're doing what you've checked off on the survey when something bad happened and they're just basically trying to figure out how to not pay. I agree with everything except for maybe the last part. Like I don't, I don't feel like insurance is insurance really is there to do what they've said they're going to do, but they just want to make sure that they're only going to say, do what they say they're going to do. Um, they're not trying to figure out a way to not pay. They're just trying to make sure everything is accurate. I think we are moving towards a uh, continuous compliance world where insurance will come with an agent or it will come with integrations that just pulls read-only data that they're not keeping logs or anything. They're just making sure that what you said is what you're doing. But at this state, it is kind of a shell game because you just have to make sure that what you put on that application is true the moment that you sign it. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying stop doing anything or start doing anything, but the most important piece of advice I can give is whatever you say on that application, it better be true at the moment that you filled it out and signed it. If something changes thereafter, that's life. Things change. But 
it better be true when you sign it and you better be uh have that documented of yes this was in place hold on time out hey my car has a security alarm and seatbelts and then you take off the security alarm and seatbelts the day after you get your coverage isn't that a problem if you file a claim it might be yep so also things like are you required to be HIPAA or PCI compliant? And are you HIPAA or PCI compliant? Those are other things they ask in the applications too that are, um, you know, it's a whole nother bucket with just one line. Hmm. There's going to be a wide range. man. Like, I feel like it's an insurance company needs, like, I feel like the, the one line with the one checkbox, like some admin wrote that out in Word. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, and they've got the better lawyer too so you know they're 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 going to take care they're taken care of depending on the claim depending on the carrier you'll get a different levels of scrutiny on those things and different levels of uh, if you think about six for processes if it's under a certain amount of money there's going to be a rubber stamp versus if it's a larger claim and then they actually have to dig in if if lawyers get involved because a lot of what they're finding is the process of how they process cyber claims is broken because they first bring in legal. And so a pers- a chance of a business email compromise, a suspected business email compromise can turn into like a 30 or $40,000 claim, even if nothing happens because of who they're engaging in the, in the order of operations in which they're doing it. So there's, there's so much in flight uh, around cyber insurance of trying to how do we streamline the claims process? How can we make sure that the investigations happen in a way that we actually determine if something happened before we start contacting legal and spending a ton of money that is unnecessary? And so they're, we, they are learning that even if uh, there, there is going to be a minimum claim level, we're like, yeah, just, just rubber stamp that because it's way cheaper than calling a lawyer if the claim is under a certain amount. Uh, there's... So much undefined there, but it's going to be an interesting space over the next few years. And, and yeah, we we know people that are working on solutions like that. Think about the progressive snapshot that have now turned into like apps on your phone of Bluetooth connecting to your car and collecting data about how you're driving or how fast you're driving while you're going. That that <laughs> is coming to our world and yeah. in, in some form or fashion. And we'll see that uh, over the next couple of years make its make its entry into the space. So, has Blumera thought about working with the insurance companies? Because I mean, we didn't even get into. I assume you have a ton of integrations so that you can pull in all of those logs. Because like even the firewalls out there don't hold their logs for very long. Um, so I yeah, there you go. There's there's a link right here. I yeah, it's got to be a ton of integrations for you to pull in all the different cloud and security providers and firewalls and all this. So uh, bluemera.com/integrations if you're uh, following by audio. Um, and then the idea would be, since you're collecting this data over time, you know, wouldn't it be easy to be like, hey, Mister Insurance Carrier, these guys are already collecting all the stuff right in one place. You can just sign in here and you know pull whatever information you're looking for. I mean, maybe that's pie in the sky. I don't know if you guys have gotten that far in your journey, but. The the baby cool. step of where that's going is more uh, educating insurance providers on what we do and who we do it with and how we do it so that 
they can list us as a preferred vendor and basically give a discount of if you are using Blumira properly, you will receive yes, you get this premium and you get this. You're uh, you can get this much on coverage instead of this much coverage. And I think eventually there'll be, and, and you already see that in some places of like, you're going to use an EDR and you're going to use one of these three. Uh, but for the most part, as we kind of tiptoe into this space where insurance providers are like picking winners in terms of products, it's going to be more around the lines of, we are making recommendations of these are required things that have to be in place. And here's a list of preferred vendors. And if you're not, if you're picking something not on this list, why, and what is it kind of thing. And then eventually I think there'll be more integrations, but the, the integration piece that gets sticky on all the legalities and where does the data reside and which data that they need. And like, if you're doing international too much data is bad <laughs> right they they are more interested in a thumbs up thumbs down of is mfa where they said it is versus actually they don't they don't want to get into the data i don't think and, and the underlying logs like insurance companies love data don't get me wrong but they don't now most of them don't want to become like cybersecurity products themselves they just want to verify that their clients are protected in the manner in which they want them to be. Fair. I mean, again, early days of the whole, hey, you know, let us scan your network or your environment. And we'll we'll see what you have. And then like that's kind of more we 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 trust our tool more than you just doing a questionnaire kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I gotta think that that matures over time. And you know, I mean and it may just simplify the whole thing, to be honest, right? But, I mean, but the can that's the point in time, right? Now the question is, do they want that data coming in on the regular? <laughs> well, but know, what like were you doing when I was talking about progressive snapshot? You're you're yeah. going, uh-uh, I'm not gonna do that. So, yeah. like if they do all of that, then they still have to convince people to let to hook it up, which yeah. means they either better be way cheaper or have way better coverage. In order I don't to... like the dongle in my car as I'm driving. I don't know about yeah. you, but in Philly and New York and New Jersey and any, pretty much anywhere here in the Northeast, uh, like if you're not cutting somebody off, you're not getting anywhere. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it out there, you know, sorry, but um, if you're just like, you know, in the slow lane, just waiting your turn, it's going to take you a long time. Parallel parking in center city can register an accident if you're not <laughs> doing it right. <laughs> uh, I, I've seen people play bumper cars that I would have cons- almost had the airbags go off. I saw uh, one of the car manufacturers I just read, I think yesterday, they want to do like the uh, Batman forever 90 degree wheel thing. Right. So like it just basically, Scott, oh, you want to park? Yeah. And then <laughs> I was like, well, the that Hummers just takes have all the, the fun crab out legs. Of the par- yeah. yeah, it takes all the fun out of the parallel driving test when you get in your license, huh? I've I've seen some of those cars that'll do that for you. And I'm like, because I lived in Philly for about two years. And I, I every time I see one of those commercials, I'm like, try that with a bunch of Philadelphians honking and yelling at you. And then tell me if that is a good idea. And maybe a three foot snowbank right at the curb. Also possible yeah 100% i can imagine where the the white maybe throw the whole car censoring off unless you're in south philly just park in the middle of the street right correct 
at that point, you know, forget the curve. We're just going to make spots. But um, yeah, it would be interesting to see where it goes. But I'm never going to do the dongle, guys. Sorry. Nobody's putting the uh, automatic, uh, always tracking your speed limit in the, uh, you know, in driving and hard braking. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, it's, it's nature of the beast here in the Northeast. Um, no, well, thank you. It also goes back to your point about liability. Like if, if the insurance company then knows and doesn't send out any orders to remediate, are they going to have to pay out more stuff because they had the data and didn't say something? So like, it'll, it'll be interesting to shake out and see what actually happens of the data gathering and continuous compliance. I, it will happen. I just don't know in what format it'll take. Yeah. I, I mean, we might not be talking 2024 here, right, guys? Could be talking three, four, five you, years you will down the see line. Products in 2024 that are along this line, but it'll we're going to be scratching the surface. Okay. So the idea here is you got to you got to keep doing your homework ahead of time. I love, by the way, I think the great nugget that came out of here was ask for the thing six months ahead of time. What's the earliest you would submit your application for renewal? 30 days out, 60 days out? They're not, they're probably going to even offer it until 30 days out, but you can start to plan, you know, ahead of that time. Yeah. And maybe like do your renewal, not like switch it to like. If possible. Yeah. July <laughs> instead of December. Yeah. And you'll yeah. be, if, if you're an MSP and you have a large number of clients, you'll be doing yourself a favor to not to start spacing those things out over the year as opposed to, because you're going to get all of them in December and yeah. in November. Yeah. Around, around Thanksgiving, you're going to get a flood of these things and you'll be like, what is it? Well, it's because 50% of them all land in November, December and January. Yep. So if you start spacing that out, you can, and it gives you better visibility on an ongoing basis if they're spread out so you can see the trends as they're happening as opposed to the kind yeah. of the point in time one time a year really like you assume you get 30 days before the renewal they notify you so like a week one the customer sits on it week two they forward it to somebody else internally into week two they forward it to the msp and now you've got two weeks but they want it back a week before it's due so it's like you know and then they want you to not only like complete it but oh can you um can we do these things that are on here so we can get a better rate no, you're lucky if we can fill out, help you fill out the form by the by the time it's due. At that point, what you got is what you got, right? I mean, yep. you don't have it. You don't have any time to make it better. Yep. I wonder, have you ever seen somebody go back after the renewal and said, "Hey, look, we actually did all this extra stuff. Can you lower our rate? Is that a thing?" No, you can shop insurance at any time. Yeah, like I got. I don't know that I've seen anybody go back to the same carrier, but you can definitely shop insurance at any point in time. And like, hmm. I'm putting a, one of my rental properties getting a new roof. Like, maybe that's a good time to go back to the insurance companies and yeah, say, hey, shop my rate. Roof's a good one. So, on the way out the door here, right? Where do, I know you guys have a free thing for MSPs to use internally, so that's pretty cool. So, like, where do they go to figure out what you know what they get for free, what the program looks like, and like. Maybe if they want to learn more, maybe talk to somebody, where do they go? So sign up for your NFR at bloomier.com slash NFR. That's not for resale NFR. And then if you have any questions, comments, concerns, email MSP at bloomier.com. That's B-L-U-M-I-R-E. 
A.com. Awesome. And it sounds like you're going to be at some of these events coming up here towards the end of the year. So anything. See you at DataCon. We'll see you at IT Nation. It's probably, I'll see you at Next Gen if you're going to be there. Awesome. See you out there. These on the, guys in... are out in the street. If you guys venture out of your places, circle those three because I'm sure they'll all be, they'll all be busy. Jeremy and Chris, appreciate you for coming on. I, I, I love the candy conversations, right? Like, you know, you always learn something new out of this. I, I definitely learned a couple of things out of this one that I didn't think about, but yeah, you know, I always, I always relate things to cars. I don't know why, because like everybody has one, I think, but it's very universal. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for uh, having us on, George. It's always good to see yeah. you, my friend. Absolutely. This session was recorded. I mentioned in the beginning, but if you caught this midway, uh, we will be posting the whole thing on msbinitiative.com under sessions. And then you guys can rewind and be like, wait a minute, these guys said this. And then they'll just be like, if you go to 18 minutes and 23 seconds, you said this on this podcast. Okay. There you go. All good guys. See you guys out on the road. Yeah. See you, George. Thanks. Thanks. See ya.